This episode of Guitar Radio Show is brought to you in part by... Geppetto Pickups, GeppettoGuitars.com. Guitar players are always searching for the tone that will define their playing identity. Geppetto Pickups' wide spectrum of tones and sonic colors inspire and instill a newfound confidence in the player that comes from having amazing tone. Single coils, humbuckers, and bass pickups wound and constructed by hand to a level of perfection that will finally satisfy that search for tone and enhance your play. Because, let's face it, when you sound better, you're inspired to play better. Go to GeppettoGuitars.com. We'll give your guitar its voice, but you'll make it sing. And also by... BMFFX. BMFFX.com. Built by hand in Southern California. BMFFX captures the tones in your record collection and brings them to life. Overdrive, fuzz, wah, boosts, chorus, compressor, and vibe pedals with a purpose. Purchase online at bmffx.com or BMFFX official shop on Reverb. Enhance your tone and playing experience today with BMFFX, bmffx.com. Great tone made simple. Welcome to Guitar Radio Show. Show, 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 show.
right, everybody. Welcome back to Guitar Radio Show. When Guitar Radio Show was being conceived, our next guest and his music was one of the templates or cornerstones for the very concept of what we've been doing for the last 10 years. His music and, and guitar playing has been a constant companion to me since 2002 when I was first lucky enough to hear him. When you search his band on Google next to their name, they describe themselves as psychedelic instrumental ocean music, which I absolutely love that description. It's a great way. I might even use the words like cinematic, ambient, and spatial. This is the interview that I've been selfishly waiting to do for 10 years. <laughs> From the very beginning of this show, Please welcome to Guitar Radio Show, Mr. Jim Thomas. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay. And I should say that description, psychedelic instrumental ocean music, uh, we didn't conceive of that. Somebody did, you know, did our website, and I just, I just didn't argue with it. I said, fine, whatever you want. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's great. You know, and, and well, folks, you know, it does, it does something. But I, I don't, you know, it's like it's like a, the, the merman kind of don't really fit anywhere so it's like okay you want to call us that that's good <laughs> it's true though you're right the merman it, it it it's hard to you know it's really hard to label and i actually had a question like that for you how do you feel about those labels like you know at first people would initially you know at hearing you at first blush they would go oh it's surf music or surf rock or you know and it's not yeah, you know that there's, you know, this nowadays there's so many crazy descriptions of of certain kinds of music like like a, a math rock or um, post punk or post rock or <laughs> oh my god, there's just so many weird labels. <laughs> I mean, I, I I personally it's like I always just did the music that just kind of came to me, right? And and it's just like. I really can't. I really can't control it or manage it, you know. In, in the sense where, it, like, 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 I, I like there. Or if you listen all through the Merman stuff, there's. I mean, there's stuff that's like really hardcore punk, you know. Like really, you know, there's like slow grinding psychedelic stuff, and then there's just pretty lighthearted songs, you know, and. Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, and you know, and it's like it's like it's like I mean, I uh, I could describe it like this, like like a lot of Merman records are, you know, there's these there's these big songs and heavy songs, fast songs, and then there's these really nice slow songs. And so what I did at one point, I said I want to make a record that people could go to sleep to. So I put out this album called Blues of Elsewhere, yeah, which was just done with a uh, one acoustic guitar and one electric guitar, and and you can listen to that album and not get involved in all the frantic merman music you know and uh and just kind of take it easy like you could play it in a dentist office which <laughs> which, which you could you know that that's and it, it really it works for me you know and uh yeah so it's, as far as like labels go i don't really i don't really care it's definitely uh a problem for like people who who want to market music i mean it seems mm -hmm. like there's there's a but you know, there's so much different kind of stuff out there. I mean, I mean, have you ever listened to the OCs from San Francisco? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, you know, they're like, uh, like, 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 or, or uh, Earthless or something like that. You know, uh, 
um, I mean, or or Earth, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. or Sun. You know? Where do they fit in? You know, I mean, like they're you know that. I mean, they have their own um, place. You know what I mean? But there was no genre that they could really fit in. You know, initially, you know, and uh, so yeah. So as far as I go, I just like I said, I just when I started writing music, it just the music kind of wrote itself, really, and right. and that's been all along. And I don't really. I can't really control it, <laughs> you know. Like I don't well, know. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> well, it's sort. It's sort of like you're you're a conduit, right? You're. It's just funneling through you and then out of you. Yeah, I, and, I don't like. I don't. I don't think I funnel it either. I don't know what happens. Honestly, it's like it, it's like it's part. You know, me doing something and encouraging it, obviously, because you know you have to you know play the guitar and practice the guitar to to have uh you know the method for delivering something you know and then you know working on all the you know the the instrument and getting it right and getting the you know the the sounds right and and you know and equipment right and the amps right and speakers and all that like you know i i I worked in music stores for a long time so i I got uh, i was able to get a handle on all that stuff and uh trying everything out everything under the sun actually Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, yeah. So there's, there's just, uh, I mean, it's like it's almost like uh, everybody's, you know, in life, you know, finds some little niche they're in or their their talent or something like that. And I guess I have a a talent for doing the weird thing that I do. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I've been lucky where, you know, it all kind of came out of nothing. I mean, I, I wasn't in my wasn't in my first band until I was 35 years old. Wow. Like I came out to California and I. I mean, I'd always kind of played guitar, but it was funny. I was talking to my one of my cousins who I hadn't seen in thirty years, right? And they were talking about her her father who had passed away, and I, she she reminded me that I thought her father always used to say to me, "Hey, Jimmy, how come can, can you can't finish a song?" You know? <laughs> and I I was really a, a, a kind of skilled guitar player, but I never, was never really never you know it was when I was fifteen, I was never really interested in finishing songs, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, I was re- I was really into like practicing and learning things on the guitar, and just learning the guitar inside and out. Really, all the all the everything you know, the scales, the chord inversions, theory, and all that stuff. And but it was never really never really came to anything until I was about thirty five. And, um, and and there was a period before that where I I got interested in bluegrass music when I was uh, I guess in about nineteen seventy five, and I played flat pick guitar and. Uh, and I actually played in the flat picking championships in Winfield, Kansas, in 1977. And um, but I was really into uh, uh, Clarence White of the Birds, you know. Yeah. And I was uh, to uh, you know like Norman Blake and Dan Crary and Clarence White was my Clarence White is my favorite guitar player has always been. And I uh, I mean I don't play a string bender or anything like that. I but was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, there's just something about the guy's guitar playing that just really gets to me, you know, and. Uh, uh, I just really gets under my skin. Like him and him and Jerry Garcia, and it's weird. Jerry Garcia, I've never really, I've never really followed the dead or anything. But but he, but the past couple of years, I realized how much Clarence's and Jerry Garcia's uh, rhythmic senses are very similar. You know, on the guitar, right. and uh, and uh, and um, yeah, and I never, and then I realized, oh yeah, Jerry, Jerry played bluegrass early on too. And, and Clarence was in the Kentucky Colonels, and um, just a really interesting album. It's called uh, 
kindlings by uh, this guy Gene Parsons who designed uh, the Parsons White String Bender guitar. He 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 made this bluegrass album where he made it with um, with Clarence, uh, Jerry Garcia, Vassar Clements, and a bunch of other people. And um, that was a long, long time. But that's a beautiful record. And uh, but that's the roots of all those guys. And, and I love that music. There's just something about that that bluegrass music is. I mean, to this day, I love that music. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know why, you know. Oh, it's 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 incredible. I mean, just to, well, as an American art form, it's amazing, and and from a technique standpoint, it's it's fascinating because the 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 interplay between all the different instruments and the, and that and being able to play it at that sometimes at that speed is fascinating. I remember seeing uh, God. It must have been nineteen seventy eight or nine. I saw uh, Scruggs and Flats play yeah, yeah and it was uh it was astounding and it was a you know young a young uh marty stewart playing mandolin oh i love marty stewart i was just watching his uh his uh looking at his website yesterday and, and looking at you got that you put that new kind of acoustic album out yeah and yeah i see him every time he comes to the bay area he's so amazing he yeah he's doing like seven shows out of but the great thing of the crazy thing about him is that he's got Clarence White's old Telecaster. That's right, the B-Bender, yeah. Yeah, when he he played in Berkeley, I went to both shows, and he, you know, his guitar was sitting right on stage, like, and I just walked up to the stage, was looking at that guitar, was like, wow, you know, and and he can actually play it really well. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, he's, uh, I love Marty Stewart, I've I've seen him so many times, and and, um, the guys in his band, the, uh, Kenny Vaughn. Yeah, he Kenny Vaughn. In fact, yesterday I watched a really cool interview of him when they played on the, the David Letterman show. Oh my God, I was watching that yesterday too. Oh, we must be, you know, we're on the same psychic wavelength, I tell you that. <laughs> but that, that country rock and roll song? Yeah. On Reno? Yeah. No, no. And I was like thinking to myself, I love the opening riff of that song. It's you know? crazy. I mean, you hear it on the show. Yeah. It kind of just blurts out. But it's just this crazy guitar riff that opens the song. It's insane, and, uh, yeah. What he did with Kenny was was really uh, really cool because he's uh, he's so knowledgeable and, and uh, yeah. And I have a good friend, I guess, who's another guitar player in the Bay Area. Named, his name is Jinx Jones, and he's a he's a good friend of Kenny Bonds because he 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 owned a I guess a guitar store in Colorado, and that's where Kenny that's Bonds from. Yep, that's where Kenny comes from. Yeah, I had Kenny on the show. <laughs> and, I've had Kenny on the show. Yeah, he's he's amazing, and he, he is a truly amazing. And, and him and him and Marty together. Oh my god! Oh, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I love the I'm, my favorite record. I love all their records, the, the fabulous superlatives. But that way out west record really is just. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, a yeah, perfect I, record. I, it's it's perfect. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw him do that like a three, you know, the material from that three different times and. Yeah. Uh, but just you know, like the funny thing is about uh, when uh, at one time when I saw Marty Stewart, he was doing. I think the first time I saw him, he did a uh, he did that instrumental hummingbird, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it uh, like the instrumental tune Nashville West. Do you know that piece? Yes. By, by and he goes, <laughs> I thought to myself, oh, he's going to do Nashville West, and then he says to the he says to the audience, oh, I can't do that. Uh, I got to do this instead, hummingbird. <laughs> And I'm surprised he's never done Nashville West. It's funny that 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 
I've never heard of anybody do that. You know, and it's funny, I was up at a, a guitar show, and uh, Gene Parsons, the guy who designed a string better, he lives in up in uh, Casper, California, which is up near Mendocino, and uh, he he came to the guitar show, but he wasn't there, but all these people that worked with him were there, and there was one young guy there who worked for that, worked for him, who's, who showed me how the Clarence did Nashville West on the string bender because I could never figure it out. Yeah, and I, I still have the video on my phone. I, I haven't worked on it or anything yet, but uh, it was because he's using kind of an open tuning, you know, mm -hmm. that do that. And uh, but yeah, man, your hit to all that music. That's uh, you know, even the acoustic stuff and all the guys in his band, like uh, uh, the Scruggs, the bass player. What's his name? Uh, I forget his name, but oh. he's voice. Yeah, he's he's Nashville. He's a Nashville he's, legend. Um, oh man, he's a he's a monster class steel player. Yeah. But just their ability to sing and all those old songs and all of them can play. It's, yeah, they're. Yeah, I, I love all that music and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you know, and you, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, I was when I was talking to um, Kenny, he was telling me that him and Marty have a instrumental surf album in the can oh yeah I, I bet they do i remember i remember hearing about that because he he would talk about it at the shows yeah like he he's instrumental saying uh we're gonna because he was joking a lot about the surf instrumental thing and all that stuff and uh and um yeah 21 yeah. 21 tracks oh really well <laughs> yeah i'm hoping i'm, I'm waiting uh, to see uh, i'm waiting yeah, to see like it like have the light of day or, Tom Petty's band did that, and then then uh, uh, some of the guys from Midnight Oil did a did an album with Brian Ritchie from the Violent Femmes in Australia. They did a an instrumental surf album. Yeah, so some of these big guys have all this stuff. I mean, I think I think uh, it's almost everybody out there. I don't care. You know, Bruce Springsteen's first band was an instrumental band, and Neil Young's first band was an instrumental band. You know that yeah. everybody surf early on, or we'll, we'll call it surf. It wasn't necessarily surf, but it was, you know, instrumental music, you know, Shadows, Link right. Ray, Ventures influenced. Right. Yeah. See, now, yeah, I like Link Ray. I never thought of Link Ray as surf. It was, yeah, in, yeah, it yeah. was instrumental music. It was instrumental rock. Yeah, and at the point that that was happening, you know, I mean, when what year was Jack the Ripper? Was it like in the 50s, right? Yeah, yeah. So here comes Jack the Ripper in the 50s, probably the most insane weird instrumental that ever was mm -hmm. you know in, in the 50s and, and Link I guess he started doing his his crazy stuff in the late 40s which was way before anybody else you know mm -hmm. and uh, yeah he was amazing Link Ray and uh, yeah, he was a mad scientist I think <laughs> he's a whack I saw him I saw him I'm funny I, was, I, was, I saw him in San Francisco once and I stood right in front of him in, in front of the stage and uh his guitar string broke, like, and I was so close to him. I I unwrapped it from his guitar for him while he was standing there. He leaned over and let me unwind it off his guitar. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> while he was playing, you know, like, funny. It's funny. That's cool. You know? So with with influences like Clarence and Jerry Garcia, and I know I know Neil Young, Wes Montgomery, and Bob Dylan is an influence yeah, for you. Dylan, you know how I mean how do you feel like do you feel like it just is like becomes a stew after a while that there's these just these little ingredients because honestly when I listen to you play I don't hear any of those people 
I I yeah, hear I, something I, completely that, unique. That you're, you're right. It's like it's not some kind of direct influence because I've I never really never really set out. Uh, you know, you know. I mean, I got to say with Clarence, there was a period when I was playing the bluegrass guitar where uh, I would, you know, I would, you know, there's a there's an album of me jamming with somebody during that time on the acoustic guitar and. I, I listened to it. I got. I, I just was so uh, copying that that Clarence White Tony Rice thing, you know, where you're just pushing the guitar real hard and these these firm notes, you know, that are coming out. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's, I, I, you know, I, 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 in 1977, you know, I did that for like two years, about I guess two or three years, where I played the music, and then we were on a, I was on a, a trip around the United States, and the guy I was with got got in a fight with him and he smashed my guitar and then I had a, a book of fiddle tunes that I had transcribed and always played and that got lost on that trip and then I actually quit playing guitar for a really long time after that maybe maybe a good almost uh, 10 years wow you know? wow yeah it, and um and I just I just surfed and you know worked as a waiter and um and uh yeah and then uh so just and, you know, there's always that there's always that little bit inkling of making music, though. You know, so so that was always kind of humming in the background mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah. with it until I came to California, and then and then uh, you know I came out here with nothing. I was like when I left New Jersey, I was living in Seaside Heights. I I think I was really kind of depressed, and I didn't I, you know didn't know what I was going to do with myself, and didn't have any money, and. Uh, this friend of mine got a job working for United Airlines in, uh, you know, Oakland. Yeah. Literally dragged me to California, this guy. And I had, I had two possessions. I had one, one surfboard and one acoustic guitar that somebody had given me. And then, uh, I got out here and got a job at a music store in San Francisco, you know, kind of, kind of like by, uh, by, by the way of, I, I didn't, I didn't know what else to do with myself, but I, and I didn't want to do anything. I was just didn't care about anything. And then it was, I saw this job in, in a music store in San Francisco. I said, well, I never did that, you know, and I had no experience, you know, or anything. And thank God they gave me that job because I had changed my life. You know I mean? I went there and I, uh, was all like, working musicians working in that music store and lots of well-named famous musicians came into that store because it was next to the great great american music hall in san francisco mm-hmm. and uh, it was really uh, active crazy scene and uh but i started writing all this music there and then somebody paid for the first record and, and somebody paid for the second record and paid for the third record and paid for the fourth record and and uh yeah it was kind of like, like really lucky and uh then it formed me a whole whole life for me that I would have never thought would have happened, you know. <laughs> so, what, were the Merman kind of born out of that 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 guitar store? Oh yeah, definitely. What, what it was is I was I was selling, uh, you know, I was I was a salesman in the store, and and uh, we were selling a lot of uh, four track tape recorders at the time. You know that 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 was just when they they. They, you know, Fostex was making them a yeah. task scam pretty And so I would be demoing them for people all the time. And every time I would demo them, you know, I plug the drum machine in and I play a, a rhythm guitar track and I play a lead guitar track. And I, I was just whatever came off the top of my head, you know, that's what would be there. And then and after, after a while, it was like I had about, it formed about 20 songs, you know. And Alan, the bass player, worked there. He, 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 he was, he was, uh, 
he was a really good bass player and played with lots of bands in the Bay Area. And he said, uh, oh, I want to play bass on that. So he would play bass. And actually, he, he got his hands on that, 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 that stuff, and he made a CD out of it. So there's actually a CD that I... Uh, that I, that I need to, to, to sell because people want it really sounds really great, but it's just this demo with, you know, Roland 505, you know, there's, there's maybe five different drum machines by Roland and Korg and by Yamaha and where I'm just playing these rhythm guitar and the lead track and, and I'm programming the drum machine. And, um, and then so there's a little bit of keyboard on there, but it's, but it's all the demos from the first album, Krill Slippin'. And, uh, it really is a, it sounds really good. And it's funny because, I can't believe how good it sounds, and it was recorded on a cassette four track, and it's just, and then it was transferred to a cassette, right? And then Alan got that transferred to a CD, and the sound and the guitar. I mean, it's just amazing. It put and the reverb sound, the drum set, everything sounds amazing. I just, I look at it and I go, how, how could that be? <laughs> right? They were Nobody great. Yeah, I had the I had the Foztex X15, man. That thing was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like it was like it was like it just goes to show you, you know, that even though that, that technology there was did it just had that that uh you know the, the sound of tape. Yeah. It just came through in those little little cassette format, you know. So yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh it's so cool. I, I, I didn't realize that it got that the band kind of was born right out of a out of a guitar store like that. That's super cool. Yeah, I guess I wasn't even in a band, and then, uh, and then, uh, like I said, people started showing interest in what I did, and uh, and there was a gal I met there, and she, uh, you know, you know, Alan, I think it was Alan. Somebody was telling me I should make a record, you know, and and uh, I had no clue about making a record, you know, and um, and it's funny, all the people who worked in the music store were all these hipsters that worked there. There was like that guy Jinx Jones I was telling you about. He came and worked there, and he was like a, this wildest. If you look him up, he's a monster guitar player. Like he, could, you know, he's the only guy I've ever met that could play like every James Brown song, every Dick Dale song. You know, it, it, it's like it's like a, and rockabilly stuff. That's his kind of specialty. You also play jazz stuff, but but he's this real flamboyant, well dressed, you know, Cadillac man. And he worked there. And then there's this other crazy guy from uh, New Hampshire who was a writer who graduated from Yale who was a jazz trumpet player and then there was the manager this guy Nicholas who was a, a rock guitar player in the in the mold of all, all those guys that came from that the valley in the Bay Area and it's a really amazing guitar player and they were all just like talkers and just they were all fucking nuts I mean it was just like <laughs> the most nut screwball place you could ever work I mean I just can't even describe how screwball it was and um, like you know like but they were good musicians you know all of them and they all played in lots of bands and were always out playing and I wasn't really playing with anybody you know I just I just was like you know writing these songs and then uh, then the, the manager of the store saying Kurt was encouraging he said why don't you come over to, I'm like, he was doing this jam at a place called The Hill in Oakland he said why don't you come over and, and play a set of your songs right and so Alan would play the bass because he was working at the music store and then uh, I got Martin like you know somewhere along the line I got Martin I put an ad in what was called BAM magazine it's a big magazine in the Bay Area and uh, he, he heard the demo tape I made really liked the music and we, we just started you know rehearsing a little bit and um, then we played uh, this place the hill and I remember being so nervous at the time I just I could hardly play I was so stiff you know but but you know gradually gradually it just kept 
it just kept getting there, you know, and eventually we made it, made the record. And, uh, and then the, 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 the cassette got out there. It got, it got all these tremendous reviews by all these writers of all these people in San Francisco. Everybody loved this tape, you know, and that really led to just everything. And so many good things happened, you know, I mean, if, the next thing I knew we had gotten a, a show via this. Have you ever heard of the guitarist Henry Kaiser? No. Okay, well, he's a he's an experimental guitar player who's also like the great grandson of the great Henry Kaiser who built the built all the shit shifts. Uh, he was, you know, Kaiser was the first uh, H the Health Maintenance Organization, and he started that. But he also built the whole uh, Navy, you know, the, all the ships for the Navy in, in World War Two. So, but Henry now he's a he just he doesn't do any he's a he's one of the heirs and he's a guitar player but he's. He's an experimental guitar player, plays with all kinds of people. So I, I, I ran into him one day at this guitar store called Real Guitars, and you know, in San Francisco called Real Guitars. And I gave him a tape of our album. And at that time, he was, he was, uh, you know, the next thing I know, I get a call from Hawaii, and he's at um, the Pahi Nui Brothers' house with Jim Keltner and David Lindley, right? And they're working on this Hawaiian music record, right? And he played my record for David Lindley, and, um, and he said, David Lindley wants you to open for him at Slim's in San Francisco. He's playing, uh, you know, so so he was doing this uh, acoustic thing where he had like, he's like, uh, like 12 or 15 crazy acoustic instruments and he had some percussion player, you know. And um, so here's us, this electric punky surf band opening for David Lindley at Slim's. It was totally sold out, but that was a big, a big, a big thing for the Merman in, in terms of like, you know, just right starting to expand our audience and then, yeah. you know for, for years we just played every week twice a week at any small club any party anywhere and anywhere and it just went on for years and and we just kept getting offered these little record deals and finally that it ended up with this one record this one you know guy was running a recording studio total Paul, he offered to make our record we were like we were he had a rehearsal space that we were renting and then he, he was here what we were doing he said and he was building a recording so he said he goes I'll, I'll make a record for you and i won't charge you any money you know we'll just make the best record we can make and that ended up being the record glorious with euphoria and that got licensed to warner atlantic and now that, that really you know put us on the map that record i mean it got it got written up in rolling stone is one of the best records of 95 you know us and dirty three and uh yeah things just really went really well from there we did a bunch of tours and that were well supported by warner and and uh yeah i mean it was a lot of opportunities there that i passed up you know like lots of interesting things happened like we got offered to be part of like the first g3 tour you know or whatever that was and we we said no <laughs> it was like a lot of, right there was a lot of shit that happened like that you know and, uh and uh yeah and i a lot of shit i passed up myself because i was just i was just kind of a crazy you know guitar player who's just having fun and drinking a lot you know uh-huh. and care about a lot of stuff and you know so anyway so that was that but it was uh lots of lots of good music got made though, though you know so yeah <laughs> it's 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 amazing the 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 body of work is incredible and I definitely want to talk about it. But when so how long did you guys stay in San Francisco before you moved to Santa Cruz? Oh 
no, there was, we really didn't move to Santa Cruz. We're a San Francisco band, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, I moved to moved here probably 20 years ago, and I, I uh, built a recording studio here, you know, near the beach, like at, at uh, up near Pleasure Point. You know, at that, I, I reached a point where I just, I really had enough of San Francisco. You know, I had formed the whole, you know, done the whole music career thing there over, over a period of about almost 15 to 20 years. And, uh, and I was surfing a lot and driving up and down the coast all the time. And, and I lived right on the beach there in San Francisco. And and uh, and it was just, you know, San Francisco music scene was getting uh, kind of really, in terms of like because of higher rents and places closing down yeah. and clubs closing down. And, you know, it would really close down big time, you know, uh, at one point. And, um yeah, and in fact, there was one point where uh, there was this one place where I I had a studio in. There was this giant building on Third Street in San Francisco, and it was it had like this building had it was a like a four story building that had almost two hundred rooms in it. And there was there was maybe fifteen recording studios and tons of but every band in town rehearsed there. I mean, there must have been three hundred bands. Based, I mean, any given day you might hear. Uh, some famous band rehearsing next door or Neil Young was rehearsing down there and you know G Smith was rehearsing somewhere I mean there's just like it was just like always just all this crazy shit going on mm-hmm. and I uh, and then the guy decided to sell the building you know when the, when the whole thing started to close down the dock thing started to come in and um, there was a big to do about it and actually uh, I think either Gavin Newsom was either he was either uh, uh, councilman or he was mayor at that time uh, I was talking to this about my toy roommate the other day. I said was he councilman or was he she, she said he was the, the uh, mayor of San Francisco at the time and uh, they were having this big meeting and they wanted to, all the press was outside and I was sitting in the meeting and they wanted to keep the press down I got into actually discussion with Gavin Newsom about about they should let the press in for this meeting you know because it's just so much is on the line and he didn't want to you know what I mean but but uh but eventually that building got sold the place closed down and everybody saw the owner as a big rat but you know that's how shit happens and gradually you know clubs closed down and yeah. you know all the you know, Paradise Lounge Transmission uh, Slims you know that all gone and um, and uh, it was uh, yeah but we were lucky during the time we were there there was a, a real scene in, in San Francisco, just I remember that. I remember that scene. It was it was intense. For a good friend of mine who actually is a, a member of the show, and uh, he was a writer for Premier Guitar. Um, he uh, he lived right there in San Francisco proper, and he was telling me that you know he says it just died. It's like somebody just yeah. killed it. Yeah, yeah, it did. It just it just it just went away. So I, at that point, I was like, you know, and I felt like I just didn't want you know to to do the whole there was nothing to do in San Francisco anymore I mean I, I could I could move and you know be, be in a quieter place you know and uh, and uh, yeah so and I, and I built a studio here and uh, it's like I, I mean in this great neighborhood and I got here at the right time and got a good price on what I got here and it's an amazing neighborhood right near the beach and then I live on the west side right near the beach and if you want to call it the beach it's more like the cliff you know? but, <laughs> but but, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's really good. It's way too expensive. I mean, like the 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 prices of a house. I guess the median home price range here is is one point two million dollars. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, like the median own price range. Oh, that's like that's like completely insane. But you know, over the past twenty some years, it's like you know, I've always always listened to National Public Radio, and it was been a lot of shows over the years about just the price of real estate around the country. And Santa Cruz has always been at the forefront of inflated prices. You know, mm-hmm. and now there's just tons of rich people who own all these you know, $4 million houses that are right on the beach and near the beach and it's just crazy expensive. And, um, yeah, it's crazy expensive. It's, but, you know, it's, it's getting like that here in Austin too. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I yeah. it's, you know, not million dollars. Well, in some places, but you know, like the median income, me, medium household, uh, price now in Austin is about 500, 600,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're talking about, you know, less than 700 square feet. Is a kind of a, it's a music center like Nashville, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like like a lot of art and culture there. So and tech, people want to go there. Yeah, you know it's funny, and, and I guess so. I guess in '95, when we had our big thing going on, you know the uh, the editor. I don't know if he's still the editor. The editor of the Austin Chronicle Music uh, thing was Raul Hernandez. You know mm-hmm. him? Yeah. Well, he loved the Merman. You know. And um, we came and played there a bunch, you know, for a couple of South by Southwest, and we had so much fun in Austin, man. Oh my God! <laughs> it, no, it was just completely crazy. It's a and, um, it's a great town. <laughs> yeah, it really. Yeah, is. It was really, that was that was some of the, the funnest times of our uh, whole career, I think. Yeah. So Wait, you played Continental Club a couple of nights in a row. Oh uh, wow! I'd love to see you guys at the Continental. That, that Mexican restaurant down the road. Uh, roses or something. Uh-huh. Oh my God, that's just the food was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So you, um, your your latest record, which came out March of this year, can right, you right. can you pronounce the title for me so I don't butcher it? Well, it's a French line, so it's you know in English it's just splendors and miseries. You know, right. I mean it, it's the title of a. I guess of a novel by Balzac, you know, which is about a bunch of prostitutes, you know, and and uh, it, it's like has nothing to do with, but but the, the the title just reminded me of the pandemic, you know. Yeah. I mean, it could be because because it was it was like the the worst of times, the best of times, kind of a thing, right? And yeah, you know, and and so that that album was kind of topsy turvy because they were. Those, those performances were actually kind of rehearsals, you know, that we were using a friend of ours who's a drummer, Daniel Guacada, and and he would surf and he'd come by and we we just go over these songs that I had in mind for a Merman album, and then I reached a point where I just I just was tired of them and I didn't want to I didn't want to play them anymore, so I told Martin the, the Merman drummer that I was going to put this out, you know, as a Merman album because I just didn't want to do them again. And so, so I did that. So I put them out, and um, and um, <laughs> you know, it was just what it is. But you know, there's there's a yeah, there's a few songs on there that I wrote for a film, and and uh, yeah, so it's just it's uh, there's some nice stuff on there. You oh, know? I really I really enjoy it. I think it's you know it's a great blend of what I've come to expect from a Merman record, but with an additional. And it's interesting that you wrote some music. Some of that music ended up being in a film because. I really felt that th- there was an additional level of cinematic flavor to this record. So interesting. Interesting, because, yeah, four of the songs, like what the guy wanted, he, 
it was a vampire film you know it's no, not out yet and we're, we're still 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 needs to be finished but um he wanted four standalone pieces of music you know just to see what what would be so those so i did these four standalone things that was the I guess the first song I can't even remember, but, but there, I put there's an asterisk next to them on the cover that says which films were for that. So yeah, so I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I had a hard time getting it out there because nobody wanted to let me put it out. I mean, the the, the 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 at first, you know, the guy who you know I signed a contract with the guy with the film saying that his music would be exclusive to his film, you know, mm-hmm. but. But then I called him. I said, "Let me put this music out." But I've been pretty, you know, I've been pretty uh, generous with my my time with him, and and just making. A, I wrote a lot of music for his film, you know, just did a ton of stuff, and uh, he was really cool. And he talked to everybody, and they they gave me permission to put him on there. And then Jennifer, the bass player, she didn't want me to put it out. She couldn't stand the artwork or anything <laughs> because I just I wanted the artwork to be like really subdued. So I just. Took, I, on a really flat ocean when the ocean was flat one day I just took a bunch of pictures with my cell phone and I wanted it to be like that instead of like the mermen are always associated with all this surfing films and you know mavericks and big waves and all that and I just wanted this to kind of be the opposite you know and it, right. it kind of went with the pandemic where everything just flatlined for a long time. So, it, you know what I mean? It worked for me. <laughs> What's the, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know because I, I, when I listen to your music, it's, it's, it's very, uh, obviously it's very melodic. So it's very humble. What is the process when writing? Is it, is it, is it just a melody that comes and then a concept for the record is born to me? <laughs> your your records are very they, they seem very conceptual to me yeah that I, honestly they're, you know I don't really have like I said I don't really conceive things too much I, stuff kind of happens it's like the weirdest thing is like I have this thing that happens to me where you know it, it's happened like this for a long time where the first time I pick up my guitar you know any given day like I'll almost always play something that has some kind of seed of some kind of idea for a song. I mean, it's the weirdest thing, you know. It just, it just, it just happens like that. Where I pick the guitar, I play this thing, and I go, "What the, what the hell is that?" You know. And I got, and I have to, you know, find a way to record it really quick. So I have a recorder on my phone that I record it. You know what I mean? And then I save them up. And uh, but there's definitely no conceptual. You know, I don't have any conceptual storyline. Or, uh, you know, it's like, it's just like, you know, like that's like sometimes when, you know, when you get titles of, of things like uh, on Merman Records, like like uh, Take Glorious Through the Euphoria, you know, there's a bunch of titles. You know, uh, I made some of those titles, Martin did, Alan did, and and and, and uh, uh, I, I like it when actually other people, uh, you know, people walk and ask me, well, what's this song about? Or what's this? And I said, and I, said I don't know, you tell me. You know what I mean? Because I, I tell you, I learn so much more when somebody tells me uh-huh. what it was for them. It's like it's like one time where uh, I had this song. Like I'll, I'll tell you a story of one song. So you t- there's a song called Blue Zone on Glorious Lethal Euphoria, which is kind of like this uh, relentless double picked, you know, Dick Dale type double picked, you know, punky song that just like this relentless push from beginning to end it's like it's really 
difficult to play, okay? So the way this, this song got its title is that this, the studio we were recording at was on a street called Bluxom Street in San Francisco. And there was an earthquake where a building collapsed and part of it collapsed on uh, Alan's car, which got completely destroyed in the 1989 earthquake, right? Right. So what was left after they cleaned it up was this uh, this big lot, right? And then that was now filled with water for some reason. And there were a bunch of, on the wall of the next building, there were all this, there was all this graffiti and paintings and stuff. And uh, so I called the song uh, Blue Zome, right? X-O-A-M, uh-huh. right? Because it was Bluxom Street, B-U-L-X-O-M-E. But I looked up, I was looking up in the English, English Oxford Dictionary, I found a word similar to zome that meant a, a, a blue carved pagan image right and i don't know where that got from because i look it up now and i can't even find it but but the meaning of the energy in that song didn't really i never really thought about it or or anything but but a year i guess some years later some playwright did a play in san francisco and he asked me he wanted to license a couple of songs for the play and so he wanted blue zone for this play so uh so I had no clue what he was going to do with it in his play, but the, the play was about, it was a play about William Blake, you know, the poet, and Isaac Newton, right? These the scientists, right? So when I went to see the play, the scene that he used, that song Blue Zoman, where Isaac Newton, the scientist, and William Blake, the poet, which are two, like, totally opposite personalities, right? I mean, you know, Blake is the poet of wonder and beauty and, everything else and then newton is the guy who's the analytic you know he's always got the microscope or the telescope you know on him you know wanting to analyze everything and figure it out right right and so they're on the raft they're on this raft in the ocean and um and um isaac newton is dressed normal and william blake is like is dressed like a tree is all you know there's all these leaves growing out of him and <laughs> they eat a bunch of mushrooms and they have this big wrestling match and then the, the wrestling match is like is like is is on this raft in the ocean and it's like just strobe lights going and it's just really crazy intense and they've got blue zone playing through that scene and i was like i thought to myself aha what a great interpretation of that song <laughs> you know? like it was like you know and and it just convinced me that like you know, other people know about this stuff better than I do. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I, I definitely experience, you know, I guess when I do music, I experience a certain kind of energy, but it's not, it's not like, uh, it's like, I can't really put my, my finger on it sometimes because, you know, it's like, I know it's, I can compare it to a, you know, dreaming or something. Cause music is a lot like that. I think it's like, you know, you're dreaming and you're, it's music is like this thing. It's like you can't see it, you can't really touch it. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. a dream. You know what I mean? And and uh, and it's just kind of ephemeral and disappears, and it's cloudy. And uh, I mean, you could, you know, certain kinds of music could solidify it and things like that. And that's what we do. You know, that's what we've done. You know, whether printing it in music or printing it to tape or digital form or whatever. So it's there. It is like a statue now, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 uh, yeah. Like, uh, people ask me what songs mean. I'll say, uh, I don't know, whatever you might have. But you know, uh, maybe a concept, more conceptual piece would be like a, 
onto the resplendent from amazing california where i where there were certain elements that came together in that song where that they're coming from all these places and i could see where they're coming from you know like the you know i don't know if you know do you know that album do you know yeah that oh song? yeah oh yeah yeah well but the, well that there's that big big riff in the in the in the song where it where it sounds like uh i realized later that oh this is a little like jack nietzsche's lonely surfer right. you know what i mean right 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 right, right. And, and and another guy i knew when he when he first heard the song he said oh you know he says weird i i felt like i was standing next to the ocean looking out over this ex- expanding s- expanse of uh you know, sunlight on the water somewhere, you know, and that, that's another person who's, who said that in a different way. He was a writer in, for this Sky local writer called Wallace Bain. He wrote an article about it, and he said something very similar, right? But but in that song, I I, uh, I really wanted a, it was a song kind of like, you know, about me coming out west or something, right? Like it kind of felt like that, right? And other people coming out west from the east, mm-hmm. right? migrating and going through all the trouble to leave the places where they were at struggling with all that and so so in that song if you listen to it i've got like i've got like uh, uh this guy joe gormark did a pedal steel solo that, that that sounds just like jerry garcia i said to him i want you to play that solo just like jerry garcia would right and then i'm i'm, I'm using these open tunings on the guitar in part of it where it sounds like indian music you know i mean Indian across the ocean, and then I'm doing some chanting in there myself vocally. That's like American Indian stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a Bible kind of stuff. So, so there's there's something that's a little more conceptual. So I would say, you know, like for me, like there's 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 always these traces of, you know, things. You know, sometimes no conception at all. Sometimes a little bit, sometimes more, like like with that "Unto the Resplendent," you know, which I think is the best title I ever came up with for a song, and uh, and and I was thinking of the Mormons when I when I when I made that title. I was like, ah, this is like this is like a Mormon thing, you know, <laughs> some, no, some religious like a parade, right? Or something like that, right? right? And right. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so so it goes kind of like that, and. Let let me dip back to one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite records is uh, from the album uh, Food for Other Fish, the okay. the track uh, Be My Noir. Okay. Um, so here's where I realized I wasn't I was hearing something way more than known as surf, right? Because to me to me this track is a masterpiece. You, it really is. I mean, your tone, your use of your use of harmonics, splitting the signal with a clean and distorted tone, then the then the control of the feedback all revolving around a great melody, mm-hmm. and trying to play that that track, trying to trying to play that because I've tried to play it is no easy task. It's so mm-hmm. it's so deceptive and really difficult to emulate. Well, I would say that part of the problem, you know, during that period of my playing Food Feather Fish and Glorious, I was using a lot of feedback, you know, and man, I was getting the best feedback. Oh my know. God, I, so good. You know, I was using these Fender Red Knob amps, right? Oh yeah. And, you know, and those amps, they had to, you know, when I worked in a music store, I was trying every kind of thing. I couldn't find any pedals that worked for me at all. You know, very few amps work for me at all, and and uh, 
you know, I mean, even even currently, so many boutique amps, you know, I've, I've tried, you know, like I, like Henry, he owns every kind of crazy amp from two rocks to, you know, uh, just every kind of weird boutique amp. I mean, he actually brought me over a Bill Crenard's house up in Sebastopol, the guy who built the two rock amps, you know, we, we played through like 20 amps and then compared his designs to old amps and stuff like that. And, and, I, and honestly, so many of those, I have never found an amp that worked for me like those red knobs did at the time. They, you know, when they were like new and they worked, I was getting these feedback. Even now I, I, I look back and I go, Jesus, had it. like I was watching a video of us at a in maritime hall in San Francisco. And I thought just, just getting this fierce, you know, feedback that just has this great... Oh, and the, and the control, you know? and the control right. that you had of it, too. That was yeah. incredible. There's a live version from 94 that's on YouTube. You guys are playing uh, in San Francisco. I think you're playing right next to the bridge. Yeah, no, that's it. That's one. That's the one. Holy... Yeah, it's called Only You, that record, right? Oh, and, my uh, God. Yeah, yeah, you know, and the funny thing was, so, so you got to look at that, that during that time, I had these, uh, I was using three speaker cabinets, right? Mm -hmm. One on the other side of the stage, two on my side, that had JBL uh, e, E-130s, right? Those are these, you know, those, they're, they're, they're the step, they're the ones that came after the D-130s, right? They're 15-inch speakers, so there were fender cabinets, two in each one. Some of the cabinets, uh, two were open back and one was closed back. Right, and then I had this uh, a couple of racks of gear with it, with two echo plexes, right, and these these delays where I'm, you know, running stuff left and right yeah. and layer it over each other. No, it was a really crazy. I listened to that that album and I, <laughs> I think myself that was me. I can't even like I can't even, and you know I was I think I was trashed out of my mind at that show, you know. <laughs> And what was amazing about that show is that, like, that one sh that show that they, when we got there, they had uh, got a big uh, crane and they pulled this piece of a dock out of the water, right? And they planted it right on the edge where, where part of it was in the water and part was on the sand, right? And then they bulldozed sand all around it. I mean, with all these big equipment, right? And we set up on top of there. Right. And and then we did this other stuff where we had these friends who worked uh, at this place called the Exploratorium and they had a bunch of foghorns, you know. Mm. So they got a big truck with these uh, with uh, compressors and these these these, you know, industrial foghorns. And they then when we when our show started, they they drove out on this dock under the Bay Bridge and they were playing those those foghorns. And then I was about well, I guess it was about I was about maybe a quarter mile away, maybe something like that, maybe a three, you know, half mile away. And I was looping in harmony with the foghorns, right? <laughs> and what, what had happened was that they said they got like 200 calls to the police. <laughs> people thought, no, people thought something happened under with the Bay Bridge, you know, like they, all, the, all the people who lived in the marina and all that area, they thought there was some kind of because the foghorns were just going randomly really loud and all these in these you know just weird ways you know and uh, and and the police came up and and they, they they drove up to me on the stand they said you stop that right now right <laughs> and i said and so i stopped i said that's not me that's those guys out there on the dock 
<laughs> right? And um, that was so crazy, man. That show was just so... That was that was one of the best, coolest shows we ever did. That you know? show is insane, and the control of the feedback on there is are those the red two red uh, red knob fenders? The red knobs, yeah. But you know, eventually, I probably over the years probably had fifteen of those things, right? They, you know, the, the problem was is like they could not be repaired. They were circuit board amps, you know, right? And they had features like they had a, a really great effects loop that you could set at you know three different levels of attenuation, and. Um, they just had a lot of push-pull functions on the knobs for, right. you know, di- you know, different EQ settings and stuff. And I mean, they were the most probably the most featureful, functional amps that, uh, you know, and reliable amps that Fender ever made. You know, I mean, what? But the problem was, after a while, you know, the heat would start destroying the circuit boards, and they would just wear out, and they could not be repaired. And you know, during that time, I was using these Lexicon. LXP15s, which I had about, you know, I had about five or ten of those, and they they eventually did the same thing. You know, they 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 broke down. Nobody in the country could repair them. You know, and and so I had to let that sound go. Then I had to let the red knob sound go, and and so that all just it was gone. You know, all that shit was gone. Like it was like you know all that you know all the elements of those. That guitar rig are gone. You know, ha, have a, you ever tried the you know, Boss Feedbacker? What? Have yeah, you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, 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 it doesn't get, get close. close. No, I was yeah, wondering. No, no, nothing gets close. The real feedback, yeah, because the problem is, is like the the, the Boss Feedbacker focuses in on certain frequency. Yeah. You know, and it's like you're, you're, you know, real. You know, real feedback is like is like. It's an aura. Like when you hear like uh, Jimi Hendrix's stuff, you know, like little parts of live shows and his thing. I mean, the way he got to his mind, it's like turning your amp up all the way and, and learning how to use your volume knob to like to run the show. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. very demanding. You have to be you have to be a genius level like Jimi Hendrix did. I mean, I couldn't do that. You know what I mean? But but you could hear how the guitar is so touch sensitive. You know what I mean? It just he touches it. It just it just sings. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there's a way of doing that. They're just, they're just, uh, there's very few players who, 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 who go to that place. You know what I mean? And then, and then it depends on the kind of, the kind of feedback you're trying to do. Cause now you can, you can look at it and go, it's like, uh, and I think it's personally, I think it's the kind of thing you can't think about too much and you can't calculate it too much. You know, it, it, it's so dependent on, so, on the, the, you know, the good stuff is so dependent on, just the energy and the, the the place where you're playing, like like on Food Feather Fish, like there's some feedback on a uh, on Black Bag and mm-hmm. uh, you know and, and then like uh, 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 Honey Bomb, yeah, and and then on uh, and then on Glorious, there's a bunch of really great feedback like that, and then on Even Amazing, there's two songs where Emmy Lou writes Clarence and. Uh, and uh, Mickey's Less Beehive, no, what's the other one? Uh, Sponge Cookie, where I'm getting this amazing feedback, and I'm, I'm doing things that, like, I can't even figure out what I did to do that, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, it's like, it just, it's just, a, it's just a being in the moment. So I realized that, like, no, no matter what I do, you just gotta, you just gotta be in the moment. It's like, a, like there's a point that, like, on, on one song on the new album where it's called Big Tooth Is Coming, right? So when it gets the time to do the solo on that thing, right? 
I, I just hit this. I had this little, I had that new, uh, I bought a bunch of those little ditto loop pedals. They have a new one called the Ditto Plus, right, you know? Right, right. Uh, which is the first, uh, this is amazing to me that, you know, all these looper pedals have been out there and nobody really made a decent looper pedal that you, you could do the first loop, right? And have it be, and then as your second record your second loop, it could be as long as you want, and it'll sync with the first loop, right? Like the the only thing that did that right was the Echoplex, you know, right. the, the Goprahim Gibson Echoplex, or the um, Boomerang, right? Both of those allow for that, but all the other ones don't. Like it just amazes me that they didn't. Like all the Boss ones, it's just so backwards. But then you know, then TC, I guess last year they made this Ditto Plus pedal. That did this, so I bought I bought three of them. So I have all these little guitar rigs that I use it on. But I I had used I hit that little ditto pedal, and when I hit this note, and then I layered this stuff, and I was like, I got this amazing, crazy sound. It was just, and I thought to myself after I listened to it, I was like, I couldn't do that again a fucking million years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was just, you know, you do this shit, you do it once, and it happens a lot with demos too, where I'm I'm doing a demo and I play something on the guitar, and for the life of me, I mean, I can hear it. And I hear there's nuance in it, but I can't seem to reproduce the nuance of what I did, mm -hmm. right? And I just, I just, I just don't understand. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of this stuff is very slippery to me. It's like, uh, and especially the feedback thing. Like, I have a, like I have a friend who's a, he's really good at doing feedback, just period. Like he's a freak. You know, he saw Jimi Hendrix when he was young a bunch of times. He's older now, but man, he can pick up a guitar and he can do feedback, and he really means it. You know, I mean, it's like. You see very few people like that, but he just—he really means it, you know. Uh -huh. And uh, and uh, and he's always he just, you know. And, and there are so many people in the audience that want me to do feedback, want me to do the feedback thing. And I and sometimes I do, you know. I just, I just, I just, I, I just try to do whatever it feels right to do it, you know. Yeah, I saw. Uh, I, I actually saw a video the other day, actually earlier today, that was shot in the beginning of the month. You guys played on the strip there in Santa Cruz. Oh, outside on, on, on the, on the, yeah, 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 yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, and, and that, and I, yeah, that I'm using a really slimmed down guitar rig where I was using a, a pedal for the distortion, which I don't normally do. I mean, my, my official Merman guitar rig that I have is, uh, my distortion is a tweed, you know, 50s deluxe, right? Right. Uh, and I'm using some convoluted, you know, uh, where, thing where I'm using two attenuators. You know, and then I, I I bring the thing down to loop to instrument level and put it in a loop so I could switch it in and out, and that's the best distortion I get. Oh, so you're you know, ju you're juicing the front of the amp. Well, the thing is that Tweed Deluxe to me has the best. My my favorite uh, distorted tone is Neil Young. You know, yeah, and he yeah. gets the tone that I love. You know, that's distorted and feeding back and really messy and stuff. And uh, I really try to you know I've got like a five you know tweet type deluxes or maybe more that that are by different makers you know like uh just uh all these different hand wired things one by i got a couple by victoria uh Clark, i got a ton of them oh They're yeah really victoria cheap. makes great amps yeah so i got yeah i got the, actually the victoria amps are, are my main my main tone nowadays i have my 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 my, my two speakers have this are uh I have one open back 215 with the old JBL D130s. Mm -hmm. That's 215s open back. And then one's got two D140s in the closed back. And I use two Victoria 
uh, high-powered Tweed Twins. So they're kind of rare. They're 80 watts. They're Tweed Twins. You know, they're based on that 50s Tweed Twin design, and they have super high headroom clean sound, and that's my that's my sound. My distorted sound is the is the is the uh, 5e3 type, you know, deluxe thing that I'm just running full out to knobs up all the way, and then I've got a, some stuff before it's time after it to get it equalized properly and get it just you know as nasty as I need it to be, and uh, and so that's my distorted tone, and everything you know kind of revolves around those things but now nowadays my 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 rig is pretty elaborate and and uh tweaked and uh, i'm always experimenting so it's it's kind of ridiculously well too much stuff, you know yeah i mean actually earlier today you sent me some photos of the stuff i, yeah, I thought i would send you the photos because i said if you ask any questions about the gear you know you you know you could see that you know what the stuff is and, yeah so how many how many pedal board configurations do you have well, the, 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 the biggest one I have is uh, the one that I would use for a real merman show, like we're playing in Grass Valley next week on a, on a nice stage, right, where we're the only band. So there's two big pedal boards that are, that are the, the, the size of the biggest um, pedal boards that Pedal Train makes. Like one's a Pedal Train and one's this, uh, one's called a Schmidt Array which is from Germany. It's like the most expensive pedal board on earth. Just the pedal board itself. I, I'm embarrassed to say how much the thing costs. <laughs> you know, I mean, just the pedal board. But, but it's weird because the pedal board, the, the top folds up so it's got a lower layer where you can put a bunch of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So if I counted the, the amount of pedals, so, so on these two boards that are my main range, they're kind of all hooked into each other, right? There's, uh, there's three switching systems on it there's one that's called a uh rjm mastermind pbc which yeah. has uh, 10 loops in it right then there's two um uh disaster area switchers one has three three loops and then one has eight loops right so 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 these the various combinations of things let me bring different things in and out right so um so there's a bunch of stuff dedicated to, to, to just my distortion tone, which is like a, uh, so there's that, that tweet thing. I use a, a bunch of, uh, I really love a lot of the Earthquaker pedals. So I have a Earthquaker Eruptor, an Acapulco Gold, and a, a Plumes pedal that I that, that kind of interact with that thing. And I use a ZFX loop gate for gating the distortion sound when I, want, when I don't want the decay to be so long and hung out there. And I'm gonna use a uh, this 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 uh, these two pedal system for two different distortions where I I can go from a clean sound like you know and when you talk about B minor where I'm mixing the uh, clean sound with the distorted tone like there's one pedal that I have that can mix the clean with the distorted that I use a rap pedal a fat rap which is kind of almost the best sounding uh, distortion pedal I think I, I've ever found you know that works with a lot of different things and then. The other one works with my tweed, and then I'm using. There's just a ton of pedals, like a few delays, and yeah, some. I see some Strymon in here. What? I see the Strymon in here. Yeah, there's a, a couple of Strymon delays. The Strymon Big Sky Reverb, and I've been using that Big Sky Reverb since my Lexicons went down down the tubes, and um, and that seems to work good, and uh, for just my reverb sound and. Uh, but now I use a little reverb mixed with uh, delay, and uh, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, I have two, like, smaller pedal boards that I use if my big one, something really goes south sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have, a, I, I actually will use a Boss Reverb, you know, a, and a Boss Delay on that one pedal board. And then I'm using a Death by Audio Reverb Rooms mm-hmm. with a yep. Death by Audio Delay. And, and they sound good, too. I mean, and it's almost like, you know, I've got probably 20 reverb pedals, you know, and they all, you can make them all sound good, you know, and, and most of the delays you can make sound good, too. And uh, it's just, you know, the thing is with the Merman, you know, we're doing these different kinds of songs that have different kinds. Of, and, then, and then I do these looping things sometimes where I, I just do these ambient ambient noise things where, where you know, we just do that and... and uh, so I'm using some of those those earthquake or things like the Astral Destiny and the After Neep and I got a ring modulator on there and one of those tensor pedals which gets a cool reverse sound, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and like you know, any given song, I might go a whole night with, with 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 hardly using any of this stuff, you know, just because that's the way that show went. But but if I if I take the time, I'll do some really psychedelic stuff that's just all layered with the echoplex you know what i mean with the boomerang you know just layering the stuff all over the place and get some cool shit going on but it's been a it was a long you know fortunately i've had you know had the the time and the money to to make this thing the way i want it you know and mm-hmm. uh it's uh and tweaked it where like i get no zero noise with all the i mean you're talking like nothing and it, it, it all has to do with you know ground lifts and things like that and uh buffering things properly and uh it was a real uh you know and really that that took a long time to figure out and uh but yeah, it all works <laughs> there's a show there's a show you guys did in november of 20 uh i think it was um the chapel was it the chapel oh the chapel yeah yeah and it was like you know there was the the parts where it's just you playing and it's there is zero hum. Well, that was that. There, I had more hum then, you know, than 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 now, you know, because it was, I wasn't using certain things. Like you know, it's really uh, you know what I found is, is has really helped to get rid of all the because I'm using three really four different kind of uh, amp things because I'm using I have a I have a uh, I'm using a you know like the old Fender type tube reverb. Right. You know, I use one Kendrick, right? But when you're using that in the Tweed and the two Tweed twins, you know, and you're, they're all coming, you know, meeting on the same circuit, you're you're really uh, asking for trouble, yeah. right? So, so, so what I did is I I, uh, I bought a bunch of you know, radio makes like five different uh, splitters, right? That that. Uh, that allows you to, you know, shift the polarity and shift the uh, the grounds, right? And 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 so two of them are a thing called. I have two headlights. One thing called the Twin City, and one thing called a shotgun. And when you run your, you know, your, you know, your, your outputs from your, you know, the looper and your amp to run to these four different, you know, high power electrical sources that, you know, you keep pushing all these buttons. And until you find what when things are everything the speakers are in phase and then all the all the all the hum goes away right any kind of ground buzzing or anything man and it really works it just it's just I'm blown away by how how well it all works I'm never I'm never stumped anymore with with, with uh, noise coming from and I and I use strats you know so they're really prone to yeah 
noise, you know, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's actually the next thing I wanted to ask you about was the strats. Um, are they stock? What, what's going on with them? There was a point where I, I you know, I, I always used Fender strats. I had a ton of American standards. And then I, I had an endorsement from Fender where they gave me 10 guitars, you know, mm-hmm. and um, they a bunch of strats and then I they gave me so many nice guitars and I, I sold them all with a dumbass. <laughs> I mean it was like kind of white jazz master, a white a white uh um what is the what is the one that's the, the brother to the jazz master? Oh the uh, Jag. Jaguar. Jaguar. Yeah. Right, right. And I had a they had a Fender six at the time, you know, the six string baritone, oh, you know. Oh man, those are cool. And I that they gave me a, a Guild Starfire and like five strats, you know, and and, uh, and then I was modifying a lot. Like, I built a bunch of double-neck guitars at the time where Gary Brower in San Francisco made three of them for me, you know? And I was playing these double-neck guitars for a while because then I was really making things complicated, you know, where I was... Got, <laughs> you know, I had four chords coming out of the guitars. You know, two were from the center pickups and two were from the bridge pickups going to different... No, no, it was... And I had all... And I, and I used to control it, man, just doing all this, this wacky shit. But, you know, after... You know, you, you you do all these things. After all these years, I just I've done so many different things with guitars and open tunings and all that stuff. But but now I I I I, I had a bunch of American standards where where uh, they you know who knows. I've never found a guitar that I was really pleased with. You know, my whole life. And uh, but but one there was a point this I guess a couple of years ago where I was. I was in different parts of the country and I was looking for a, a good guitar. So I was in Florida. Somebody down there had about 20 custom, custom, you know, Fender custom shop strats. And I tried them all. Couldn't find one I liked. That was in Clearwater. And then I was in, in uh, the uh, Miami Palm Beach area. I was looking. There was a bunch there. I couldn't find it. And then I, then I drove up the coast to New, to New York and went to Rudy's in New York and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, guitar store and, they had so many expensive guitars and they didn't have anything I liked either. And then I was in Asbury Park and it's a nice store there. Russo's, they didn't have any I liked. And, uh, and then I was looking online and I bought bought one from Sweetwater, really expensive one. And I, I opened it up, tested, sent it back. It was terrible. And uh, <laughs> and then I was I was shopping in San Jose and I found one Fender Custom Shop Strat that was the first one I liked, you know. And uh, so I bought it and I only bought it because some lucky numbers came up. It was like a strange kind of thing. Like, uh, you know, they, they, uh, I don't know, it was just something about numbers, but the, the, the price of the thing and the numbers were my friend's lucky numbers. And that's the only reason I, I finalized the sale on it. But, but I ended up putting a different neck on it, like a really wide neck. That's almost two inches wide. And it is just the biggest neck that Warmoth makes a roasted maple neck, man. And, and uh, I loved it so much. I made, two other guitars like that where I have a, these really wide necks on, on the guitars and they're my, 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 my next favorite guitar that I have is a, it's a chambered body guitar with a really wide neck like that. And that, uh, that's totally, you know, uh, that's some, it's got the same Fender custom pickups that are in the, my other Fender custom. I don't even know what they are. I try to find them and I found one pair online on eBay and they were like 500 bucks for the whole set. Mm. I thought, God, expensive but they, they they sound good and yeah i mean guitars to me are like you know that you know, they're so hard to find a good good sound because I, I play with 
really big strings, 13 through 60. And then you can't, when you're trying guitars out, it's kind of hard to tell yeah. how guitars will act, you know, with, with bigger strings. That's you know, like, very true. Very true. No, I can't even, I can't even make heads or tails of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I know what a good, a good instrument should be. And, um, you know, it's, uh, like, uh, I guess the one, one big teaching experience for me was, uh, when I was a kid, I was, uh, my, we had a music class and they took us to Lincoln center in, in, uh, New York to see a Wagner opera. Right. And, um, but before the show, they, they took us backstage and let us, you know, gave us the whole tour of the place and everything. And, and there was a big Steinway grand piano backstage at Alice Dully hall. And, and man, the, uh, I sat down at that Steinway piano. Oh my God, the sound and the action. It just was so hypnotizing and just so pulled you in to play. Like it, mm. it was the kind of instrument that made you just want to keep playing it, you know? And I thought to myself, ah, oh, that's what a good guitar should play like, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, the, the, one of the, uh, nicest uh, guitars I, I've ever played was a, a, a there's a guy who repairs amps in San Francisco named uh, Hal Hector. he's like the best tube amp repairman uh, out here he's, he's been doing it for like 30 years in San Francisco he's from originally from Boston but he's got some great guitars and great amps but one day I went there and he had a 1970 Gibson SG and man uh, he puts it in my hand and, and I was I was playing it through a, a, a 60s blackface super reverb. And I, I thought that was the best guitar tone that I ever heard in my life, right? Outside of Neil Young, I just was like, oh my God. I said, now I know why Derek Trucks plays through that kind of setup, mm -hmm. you know? And he just gets that, there's just a sound there, you know? So, so, uh, so right after that, when I did that, you know, that was a really wide neck on that SG. That's when I decided to buy a wider neck. For, for for my my uh, my strat and uh, I did that and it's a it's a different kind of playing a different kind of different kind of sound you know I mean I I think with guitar strings and guitars it's like it's all relative you know you you can get really great sounds with light strings really great sounds with heavy strings it just depends on how you play and right. and uh, you know just what you're what you're trying to do is that the like, is that the blue strat that's the one that's the blue one with the beat up body that's yeah. my main guitar yeah. Yeah, and then there's a red guitar yes. that I have. That's my other. That's my main guitar. But that's but that's newer. I've hardly ever used that. But I I used it for the last song we did at that outdoor show. And when I was watching the video, there's only the song is cut off after about a minute. But I thought, oh my god, that red guitar sounds amazing. <laughs> you know? It does sound good. It really does. But you know what's also interesting too? I find often enough, I I I'll go from guitar to guitar. Like I have jazz masters, I have tellies, I've got strats. You know, and yeah. and I'll go f I'll go from guitar to guitar, and, I, and and ultimately I go I still sound like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah, the yeah, most yeah, part, yeah. you know. What and I mean? it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Depends on how you play. You know, like I, I've never been able to adjust to playing a uh, another type of guitar. Like I have a tally, you know. I have a I have a gold face, a gold topless Paul. You know, I have a I have a you know some different guitars, and and man, I just. But for playing live, I can't adjust to any other guitar for mm -hmm. any song. It's just like the strat, you know. And I and it was weird. I read a, a, a couple of years ago how how Jimi Hendrix had the same problem. He he, he always gravitated back to the strat, mm -hmm. you know, because it 
it was able to do for him what he needed to get done. Mm-hmm. And I, I completely agree with that. It's like, it's like weird. It's like, it's almost like the strat is like some, uh, middle of the road type of, of, uh, guitar in a sense where like, it's, it's, it doesn't sound too extreme, you know, and, and like, like, like Telly's are, are they can sound extreme, you know, um, you know, the, the Les Paul's extreme in another way, mm-hmm. you know, but, but, uh, but, uh, but the, the strat is like the easy listening guitar or something. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like that's a, like it's like a piano. It's it's like omnipresent and it just it covers the middle middle ground and and uh, and it has a certain type of ability of getting a, a kind of wide dynamic range out of it. Where it's like you can't really get the same thing out of a Tele and you can't get the same thing out of a, a Les Paul. You know, you can get these certain kind of things and. Uh, and that's why I think that for me the 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 the, the strat allows like a, a very 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 type of expression, and that's just using one pickup. I mean, I at this point I hardly I never I never I never navigate away from the bridge pickup. That the whole show is on the bridge pickup, so I'm not even going to the other pick other pickup positions at this point. It's like so, and that's like you can make a whole life there just one pickup position. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> That's wild. I never, I you know, I never realized that that you were doing that. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like it's like uh, yeah, you know, it's like I went to a show where I, uh, well, this was a while ago, by the way, where I saw John Mayer and uh, and Cheryl Crow, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, the guitar player in Cheryl Crow's band. I think they only did ten songs, right? This was a huge show at Shoreline Amphitheater, right? I mean, they. they the, the, the guy must have switched his guitar for every song mm. on the in the show, right? I'm thinking, man, how can this guy keep track, man? You know, like you must have a team of people. I mean, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I you know, I I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? I guess it's got to be a certain kind of playing to where and I know a lot of people do that. You know, where they I've they, seen Tom Petty and where they, they switch guitars yeah. every freaking song. Yeah, I think know? it's nerve wracking. Yeah, no, I couldn't do it. It just, it just, uh, I, you know, I guess it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, it's, yeah. if you settle into your own thing where you're not playing for somebody else and you're, you're not playing hit songs. I think sometimes when you're, you're playing hit songs and you're got to play on demand and you get to do really big shows, you really, you have to reproduce that stuff you did on the record and get close to it at least anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess that that's part of that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't have to worry about that, really. I mean, because you're doing what you do. I mean, because what are are Merman records when they're recorded? Are they recorded live or are they recorded step? Some are recorded live. Some are recorded. You know, they're they're you know the the the, the it's like basic tracks, right? You know, like uh, like Food for Other Fish, right? Mm-hmm. Now that record was completely two track dad. I mean, we we oh, made wow. twenty four tracks inches of it but never used it never mixed it right but we wanted to get it out so we we just we recorded at a really good studio it was with this guy oliver DeSico and mobius in san francisco and he i guess he did one of the the dead kennedy's big records you know and that studio just sounded good and you know we, and we did a good performance you know and uh and like so that was it that's so, so that's, that's really a live record yeah. Yeah, so live at the haunted house is completely live record. I love that I mean, record. Oh my god! Yeah, curl slip in the first second. That that's 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 you know mostly live. You know, there's, yeah. there's some picked on it. The uh, you know most of the records, most of the stuff is live, except for I would say, um, you know, 
when we got to Glorious Luther Euphoria, you know, that those basic tracks are recorded, right? Where, where, you know, they recorded to eight ads. So you really couldn't do much editing without when you're syncing three eight ads together, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so they, they sank these eight ads together. <laughs> like, like, oh my God. And we, I can't believe that we recorded that album on ADAT machines, you know? And, um, you know, I, of course, I did a bunch of overdubbing with all that, you know, layers of stuff and textures and things like that. And, uh, and then Amazing California was the same way. There was like these basic tracks, and then it was mixed and produced and little overdubs here and there. And, uh, and then the last four records, you know, were. were pretty much what we did except for you know get some guitar fixes and bass fixes and uh yeah so it's uh it's not all not all perfect (laughs) well that's the thing is 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 you know it sounds when you when when i hear you live it sounds like the it sounds like the record to me i mean you know well no it's the same thing and so and the funny thing is is like when we do these recordings that we have they're you know, we're a three-piece band, and I think that, you know, we're it, it's not that easy to get a, just a three-piece to sound good, you know, live, you know, where you're filling in all the holes, but I think that just our experience playing mm-hmm. together and, um, and, and and having a sense of uh, where we're going, it's like, like, like we do rehearsals where I record them, you know, and uh, we sit here and we listen, and we're just amazed at, at how good it sounds, you know? And it's because you know I got really good recording equipment in here. You know I got yeah. I got a really 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 good recording equipment. It's like it's like there's, there's nowhere else to go. You got good mic preamps, good mics. You know some good compressors and good equalizers, and you know you get your sounds and we record and we, we listen back. You know why we're why we're rehearsing. You know we we'll, we 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 have everything running. You know and uh, we just we stop and we take a break and we listen back and. Uh, and we're just, you know, it's record quality, you know what I mean? And, uh, and like, we're always torn between, okay, should we, should we record, you know, if we're going to, re- if we're really, we're going to record something and we want isolation, we'll use headphones, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then the only thing that's, that's live into the rooms is the, the main room is the drums, right? And then the guitars are isolated from the, you know, I got, rec- I'm recording, recording like four or five guitar tones, you know, through different kinds of speakers and things like that. Right. And uh, one, one DI tone. And then, uh, and it, it, it with these varying levels of different, different reverbs and things. And, and I'm just, you know, it's, what it is where we're, and then the bass I got go, going through really good signal paths, you know, uh, uh, we get the best sound when we use a big mic on the, on the bass cabinet. But we, but a lot of times, a lot of those albums weren't weren't done that way. So we just, I'm using these really good direct signal paths that are like through like, you know, tele fucking V72 type thing through a a, a Fairchild 660 compressor mm-hmm. and then like a Pultec type equalizer, you know. And so when you do that, you know that when you're using that kind of equipment, you know, you're getting a lot of harmonic content that helps helps make things sound sound right and glued together and big. That's the only way I can figure it out because I know if you're not using good you know that kind of equipment you know you're, 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 the sounds will tend to be 
the harmonic content won't be there or and, and in fact it won't be magnified but but that tube equipment you know and and some of the solid state equipment like uh you know the api stuff and the chandler stuff you know it kind of magnifies the harmonic content and and if you can blend it all right you know you're like wow how, how can a three-piece without overdubs sound that good you know what i mean right. and i got right. you know i feel wow you know it just it just uh you keep working at it and i've had a long 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 road to just doing this and have had my own studios now for for since since uh 90 90s 95 96 you know like mm -hmm. I, I i've had my own studios you know like i mean the, um, the first uh, album recorded in my own studio was amazing california and, and that has an interesting story to it because because um during that time the, the record company and you know they they wanted us to use a a, a producer you know and they were offering people up, like uh, like there was uh, this guy, uh, Roy Bitten, Bruce Springsteen's uh, keyboard player, you know? Right. He had just been involved with, uh, I guess, Bruce doing a, a couple of Bruce albums, you know, like Tunnel of Love and and uh, Human Touch and something like that. And and uh, But he offered himself up to, to uh, produce our record, you know? And I met with him. He came and met with me at my studio in San Francisco, and I met with him in Los Angeles at his... Uh, at his studio in uh, Los Angeles, you know, and everybody was thinking, what a great opportunity this is, you know, and I, and I love Bruce Springsteen too, so it just would have been a great end. But man, I was such a kook then. I said to the, so I'm sitting at this table with all these people, these record people and the band, and I said, I want the money and I want to make my own record myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and like, they're all like thinking I'm crazy, you know, and I'm like, I'm not thinking I'm crazy. This is what I want to do, right? And I'm like, and this is like, I don't know shit about recording. I don't know nothing about nothing, you know? And <laughs> so me, I, I, I get them to do that, right? And they were also looking at uh, at uh, Lindsey Buckingham to produce our record, you know, from Fleetwood Mac, you know, right. at the time. And I'm like, I'm like, eh, I don't give a shit, you know? It's <laughs> like, so, so, and no, and band members, they, they, I don't think they ever got over that, me doing that, you know? Just because it could, that, you know, going with those other people could have opened a lot of doors. But on the other hand, we made that amazing California record, which really has some of the, the coolest stuff I've ever done. You know, mm -hmm. so I don't really know. I can't. I can't. I can't even say. You know, so so um, yeah. So it ended up being all those records that came after. They're, you know, all recorded in our own studio. You know. So are you working on new stuff now? Yeah, I mean, I am. I always, I'm always have something there, you know. I mean, I have like like 20 songs or so right now for the next record, and but I'm just kind of mentally burned out. We've just done like eight shows, you know, a bunch of private parties and stuff, and some other things, and I'm just, I'm just kind of burnt out, you know. And I don't want to burn everybody else out either, so right. so uh, I just got to wait till the the right time to to do it. I mean, it won't take that long to do. I think that just just to you know record it will take a take, you know three to five days or something like that and and then uh it can be mixed pretty quick and yeah so it's just a matter of like waiting till the energy is right and mm -hmm. uh and i don't feel that right now i just i just i just i'm just i'm kind of burnt out <laughs> you know you could do a lot of work like i spent the i spent the whole the, the, basically the whole pandemic is rebuilding my studio mm -hmm. you know like that's you know putting better equipment in it and tweaking it and getting it just perfect running you know like just it runs perfectly now and and i've uh, got really stellar equipment and so i did all that that took a long time to do and then i 
I basically spent the whole summer redoing my guitar rig and um, getting that right. That was a huge project, just like just totally ripping it apart and starting it from scratch and doing doing it all anew. And that was a lot of mental weirdness, you know, going through that. But it, but it, uh, man, I learned so much. It's just like, I'm about, you know, it's like, I feel like I have more useless fucking knowledge. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like I just go all oh, this shit, man. I must have, I must have 200 pedals, you know, I mean, <laughs> at this point, I mean, 200 or more, you know, I don't know, but now that's the thing, though, right? We're we're always searching for something new, and so searching for a different sound or a way to improve the sound that we've got. It's it never ends. No, and it's true. You don't, and you don't want it to be the same. That's why. That's why the whole thing. You know, one. You, I think the way of a human, human, a human uh, evolving or growing or just being a human is like. You don't want the same things, you know what I mean? They're just like, uh, I mean, there's people who do want the same things and they they get they stay there with the same thing, but then there's other people who just they want to move out. They'll they want to go away to college, you know. They don't even know where they're going and they just go and they just let's let's see what happens, you know what I mean? I'm I'm looking for adventure, you know, and uh, so yeah, so it's always uh, and you just get tired of the same thing, you know. It's mm-hmm. like it's like a it's just that's how it is, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I thought this whole time I haven't mentioned your website. It's mermen.net, folks. That's right, so mermen.net. Check yeah. it out. And you know, on there, there's. Uh, it's actually sold out right now. And I was curious to know: Will you be restocking uh, only you? Um, there are some copies that the guy has. That was. There was only a limited amount of copies made, but I, I just ran into the guy who made those, and um, I, I, I I have to buy them from him, but I. I so, the, so there'll be some available if people want to buy them. You know, okay. I just haven't done it yet. I mean, I, I'm really kind of slow. Come like it took me years and years and years to go to buy the back catalog CDs. You know, which I just bought. Right. But we're in, we're, but we're in a kind of fracas with the record companies where they're they're not paying us money for the digital sales on our back catalog or or like even Warner. They're they they they've, they've uh, you know. Glorious with Euphoria and Songs of the Cows are out of print, right? But they do not sell it. They don't sell it in digital stores. They, you know, our best album, right? Glorious is not for sale anywhere. You know, not physically, not digitally, nothing. Zero. Well, if they're not going right? to use it, why can't you have it? Well, they, 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 it's like this. I don't know if you know anything about Marvel Comics, you know, and, and, um, how you know if somebody wants to license that they probably got a few thousand comic book characters right that they've had over their history right and if you go and try to if you get an idea and you want to go license you know the uh, the carpet monster man you know what i mean mm-hmm. they will they won't even make your phone calls you know right you know because they don't need to you know they just they got so much money same thing with warner they don't even they don't you know, I've had different people try to talk to people, and nobody, nobody will talk to anybody. You know what I mean? I mean, if you got, if you, if you got a uh, hundred thousand bucks, two hundred thousand bucks, maybe they'll talk to you. You know what I mean? Mm. And uh, but it's terrible, really. You know, they just they're so big that, and there's just so much shit there that they just they just can't be bothered with with small shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's bizarre, really. And uh, it's a, it's and, a you know, record business is a weird business. Album, 
I said the record business is just a weird business. It always has been. Do you ever want to hear see a good uh, documentary about the music business? Of like the, the 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 history of Bang Records. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. That's the guy. I forget his name. It's um, but he 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 wrote the song Twist and Shout, and but he worked with uh, you know he he started this Bang Records company and he was really successful as a a writer and producer and got got a, I guess got associated with the Atlantic Records and uh, I think it was Atlantic or Warner Atlantic and uh, he he wanted to start his own record label and, and separate from Warner and they wouldn't let him you know and, and it's a crazy story because he got to be friends with people in the mafia you know and he, he actually found that people in the mafia were actually able to threaten Ahmet Erdogan <laughs> and he you don't if you don't let this guy loose from your label you're you're you and your family are going to regret it, you know, and and it was for real, you know, and they they let him go, you know, and uh, to do his own thing. But but uh, oh, his name is Burn, uh, Bert Burns. That's the guy's name. Okay. But man, it's incredible. It's an incredible story because he, he 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 also did that song by that band. Tell him, you know, if you remember that song. Oh yeah, it's a really. Yeah, that was a cool song, and uh, a bunch of other really cool songs. You know, it. Uh, interesting story so are, are there is there going to be a uh, or are you guys going out doing any shit tone uh, gigs no, I would love to you know but I just haven't you know put it together like we did a we just did a uh, uh, we did a show for the Sonoma Film Festival where we did a, a dinner a, a cocktail set right and then we did the main set for the film but the cocktail set was uh was basically a shy tone set. We did a bunch of covers, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, we did like uh, things like we did. I mean, we did a bunch of stuff from films, like we did a theme from Midnight Cowboy, and and uh, there's a bunch of film kind of things. And uh, yeah, that, it was like I love doing all those covers, man. I could I could just do those. I mean, if I if I decided to just do that, I could I could probably make a living just doing that stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> I but, saw you uh, do. Really, I saw you do a version of the like good, that. bad, and ugly. What? I saw you do a version of the good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, yeah, we got a good version of that. That's... And um, yeah, and um, and I actually like doing that song because we we found a way to play it that's open ended, and um, so you can fool around with it a bit. And mm -hmm. uh, but any any Morricone stuff, his stuff, he's wrote, wrote so much good music. That guy, and yeah. there's just so many great covers out there. I mean, I just. I just, you know, it's funny. I've done a lot of. I look at all the covers I've done over the years. I just, I wish I could remember all the, the way I play them because I really worked hard on some. Like the, the, one of the coolest ones I ever did was a, a version of Cool Water. Do you know that song? Yes. The, you know, Sons of the Pioneers. But I did a version that, uh, that Joni Mitchell and Willie Nelson did, and it's just an incredible. If you ever get to listen to it, it's just an incredible version of that song. I don't know how they ever arrived at that. Because nobody, you know, there's been a ton of people who've covered, you know, Cool Water and never were able to get out of the box with it. And man, but the Joni Mitchell, Willie Nelson version, oh my God, it's just so, so stunningly something. And, and uh, I did that a few times. And then I actually did a thing where I, I rammed it into um, Hendrix's May This Be Love, you know? Oh, wow. And, yeah, and it was like during the time I was doing it, it was like I did it like maybe twice, 
And it was just like magical, you know what I mean? Just because of the tonalities, it was kind of using a bit of an open tuning, you know, and and uh, it was like, but it was, it was, yeah, I took some notes and I have notes, but Jennifer keeps bugging me to do it again. And I'm like, I gotta, it takes just takes time for me to, it's not that easy. For some reason, it's just not that easy. I, I And I've done a lot of covers like that where I do this great version of a cover and then I, I can't remember exactly what I did and then I got to, start over again <laughs> so many so many good good songs you know absolutely well jim i can't thank you enough for doing this man this has been a thrill for me you have no well idea. thank you for liking the music you know if it wasn't for the if it wasn't for the people who like the music and support the music i'd be nothing <laughs> you know? no seriously i mean it's like it wasn't for other people, you know, coming to music and, you know, supporting it and just liking it. And they're the people that it's the only reason I've kept doing it. I mean, for myself, I probably wouldn't, have, wouldn't kept doing it. You know, I just, just, I don't know. <laughs> I think your story is, is amazing. It's, it really is. It's just, it's, I had no idea. And I, I learned so much today. This was, this has really been a thrill for me. I just, and well, yeah, I'm, 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 I listen to your music so much. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. Because like I said, it's like it's like people, you know, like you, like who find something in the music that that means a lot to me, because that's like that's what makes the uh, that's what that's what makes my world go around in the music thing. I'm not I'm just not completely divorced from uh, even though I, I can't do music to please people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is you know what I mean? Like some people can do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but I, I do I, I, I do the support I get, you know, feeds the, feeds the mach- my machine. You know what I mean? It, it, uh, it's like putting, putting, it's like putting coins in my jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, never, I never said that before, but that, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Sounds like a good title for a tune. <laughs> well, what's the, what, what would be the title? The, uh, uh, coins in my jukebox. Put some coins in my jukebox. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking great. It's a great well, somebody title. Else, somebody else is going to steal it now. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, go to mermen.net. Check out this stuff. It is amazing. Uh, when you go to the when you go to guitarradioshow.com in the show notes, you'll be able to see some video and uh, hopefully some of those pictures uh, of some of the gear because I know all the gearheads will love it. And um, folks, check out this music. It's amazing. Um, and I, I, I dare you to try and play some of it. <laughs> hey, so Mark, so uh, can, um, can you send me a link? Are you going to publish that somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to, um, matter of fact, when we wrap up here, I'll tell you everywhere it's going to be. It's going to be in 21 countries. I'll put a link to it. You know, I'll tell people about it. Right on, right on. Great. Well, thank you for doing the interview. And, and thank, like I said, thanks again for, for digging the music and the support. Absolutely. We're going to sign off right here, but you hold on one second. Check out Guitar Radio Show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, GuitarRadioShow.com, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Find Guitar Radio Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, if you like the artists you hear on Guitar Radio Show, don't just stream their music, buy it. <laughs> Productions.